Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 46. I'm Steve Kwan. And I'm brother Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach, and we're actually using the the right microphone system this time. Yeah, so last time when we said we were using it, we weren't. Yeah, I added a little disclaimer at the beginning of the episode explaining that I kind of screwed up. But this time, I can see right on my computer, it says, you are using the right audio system. So I wish I could scold you, but... I don't do any of the audio stuff, so I really can't say anything. <laughs> yeah. hey, I, I will say this. As someone who has spent his life doing pretty complex problem solving, audio is really, really hard. Like, it is shocking how hard it is to do this stuff. Anyone out there who's done audio engineering before can probably relate to what I'm saying, but it is shockingly hard how challenging it is to get decent audio to come out of a computer. I'm still not sure how to really make this work perfectly like uh, a lot of the time even with really good equipment there's like hissing in the background and stuff and i have to go in and strip it out afterwards it's kind of a nightmare so my hat's off to anyone out there who does this stuff for a living i i know now that it is not easy at all to do yeah 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 cool Uh, how are you doing steve i'm pretty good um i actually had a pretty weird and nasty eye injury last week Matt, matt knows about this um and i i sent a message to our mailing list but i tore my cornea doing something completely unrelated to jujitsu i just rubbed my eyes before bed my eye was really itchy and i so i rubbed it and man there must have been something in it because when i went and i looked at my eye afterwards before i went to bed it was like it was bleeding and there were like visible pieces hanging loose it was oh gross but you told me that that was from auto filleting yourself let's not talk about okay i'll have to edit that (laughs) (laughs) auto fellatio generally i mean i know that some of that stuff can be freaky but to my knowledge it generally does not involve stabbing yourself in the eye but wow yeah again you are a quan yeah it's true if you have experience with auto fellatio write in and let us know um but yeah so i there there must have been something in my eye because i wound up having to i i don't know when i rubbed it it like really cut it up bad so i had to go into the hospital um the good news is that with cornea injuries as long as it's just the cornea it usually heals back up pretty fast and it's already mostly back to normal but i just returned to the mats after about a week off yesterday so that was fun uh not as much ring rust as i thought i'd have so that was good but yeah um isn't it funny how sometimes if you have to take time off like i i don't i don't get a chance to take a lot of time off i'm looking forward to the christmas break i'm probably gonna take like maybe a week or two off but sometimes when you come back after 
long stints of consistently training and you take like a week or two off you come back you actually feel like better it it is <laughs> weird and i think we've talked about that before how sometimes when you're just kind of you have a routine and you're doing the same thing over and over again you kind of you just get in a rut but if you're forced to take time off your brain and your body kind of do a reset and when you come back you can kind of break through to the next level pretty quickly i mean when i had when i had my daughter i took quite a bit of time off and when i came back um almost immediately i mean for the, for the first month i got tuned up repeatedly because i had been gone for so long but after that i made a lot of leaps and bounds really quickly and i think it's just because when you know you kind of give your your brain some time away when it comes back you're you are able to break out of those existing thought patterns and look at everything in a new light so we talked about that before in like the inversion episode and in the episode about overcoming plateaus like sometimes you need to break things in order to let them come back and grow back stronger so um there's a whole art to how to break out of your routine and break out of your existing thought processes and look at things from a new light but yeah that's one of the the blessings in disguise of having an injury is when you come back you can kind of reset and start anew and a lot of the time you'll see some pretty rapid growth right away yeah i was gonna do nogi worlds in december and then i just decided you know what i'm just gonna take the rest of the year off of competition i've been competing pretty consistently this year had some decent results and uh you know i just i just wanted to enjoy my christmas time with my family and uh get a little bit fatter and just <laughs> let my body heal a little bit and uh not not uh you know, be preparing for yet another competition. Cause right now it just feels like my, I've just been in camp for the last, you know, pretty much the whole year. It's just been another competition after another. So I'm going to take a, take a few months off or whatever, and then hit it hard in 2020. Probably a good idea. Yeah. We got to figure out what we're going to do too, for the holiday schedule. We're uh, going to be off for a while. So, but we want to make sure there are still episodes coming out. So we're probably going to have to record a whole bunch of them and make sure that you guys still have stuff to listen to over the holidays. Yeah. We got to keep you use bums fed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to get angry emails from people because we missed an episode. Um, So today, we're going to talk about frugality. Uh, this is a topic we've brought up in the past before. This is not a sign that we are pivoting to a financial advice podcast. Uh, we're talking about frugality in the concept of strategy for jujitsu. So this is a term that Matt has used when discussing, um, especially how to tune up your strategy if, when you're leaving big holes in your game. Matt, this is something you've, you've talked about in previous episodes where your advice to your students has been, you need to be more frugal with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe you can explain a bit about exactly what you mean when you tell your students adopt a frugal strategy what exactly mm. does that mean in the context of jiu-jitsu um well you know this this can apply to anyone regardless of uh skill level or size or strength but generally it means uh less movements more more efficient movements and just the idea that um you know, simplifying your game and reducing the amount of energy you exert can make life a lot harder for your train, uh, if you, uh, for your training partner. So for example, like I have, uh, two really big guys at my gym and I'm just using them as an example because, uh, they're really good, uh, examples of this. One of them is, uh, on the cusp of getting his brown belt. The other one's on the cusp of getting his purple belt. And these guys are each like 250, 260, like big guys, dangerous guys. Or as our American friends would call them regular, normal, (laughs) 
I don't understand this, guys, because I mean, I I see these like message boards and forums where people in the states are saying like I'm like I'm like six two, two hundred fifty pounds, so you know, average size. What are you people talking about? I mean, I thought I was average size, and I'm like five eight, one sixty. So you are not five eight. Don't. Don't, I'm five eight. No, you're not. I'm barely. I'm. I'm like five seven and a half. You're five seven. Well, you and I most. are the same height. So if you're five yeah. seven and a half, then so am I. Yeah. Anyway, don't go calling yourself five eight. We can all dream. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So so these guys are big guys, and they're both um, they're both very submission oriented with their games. Not you can tell that these guys, you know, certain people have different styles and you can tell when you roll with them in the gym, some guys will actually simulate in their mind that they're in a competition and they're trying to not give up points and things like that. That's usually how I roll in the gym now, just because I'm constantly thinking about points, but these guys, they go for the kill, right? So it's like they have really good submission strategy. One of them is a really good leg locker. The other one is more of a catch wrestler. So he has sort of an interesting style. I don't know if it's like the best style for, for mechanics but he can catch you in some weird stuff right yeah yeah. the only problem is both of these guys would go for techniques and in the in the process they'd be giving up their base they'd be giving up their alignment they would leave giant holes so that if the move fails they would be now in the bottom position or they'd have their guard passed or whatever and so basically the the advice that i gave them is hey like when i when you're on top like don't even try to submit me for the next few months i don't even want you to try and like go for a submission i want you to just try and base out and don't let me sweep you mm-hmm. and right away as soon as they changed their strategy and did that i realized i had made a grave mistake <laughs> i was like oh god damn it now i have this now i have a 260 pound guy who's actually considering his base as opposed to trying to finish me and a lot of the time when these guys try and finish you like i said they'll fall over and they'll just they get tunnel vision right but if you tell them to actually adopt a, a style that's a little bit more conservative a little bit more frugal and just exert less energy not only do they not fall over uh and they can sort of see what's what's going on in front of them rather than looking for the submission but they actually are fresher at the end of the round as well, just because they're exerting less energy. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, when we talk about frugality, part of that is energy conservation, but that's not even really the most important part. Like the most important part is not giving your opponents an opening that you can exploit. Uh, The way that I think of frugality generally is... A frugal strategy is one where you just never give your opponent a lever. Now, like a mistake that a lot of beginners make, especially at the white belt or even at the blue belt level, is they'll basically, like if they're trying to pass your guard, they'll basically just bum rush you. Like they'll just try to go flying past you and they're so greedy and, and explosive that they usually wind up leaving an arm or a leg dangling. And if you do that against a black belt like us, I mean, you're going to get swept or you're going to get submitted. So... This is advice that I think is good for anyone, especially at a more junior level. It's one of the first things you should really pick up is understanding the importance of not exposing an arm or a leg when you go for an attack. Uh, I've got a guy that I spar with who is, I mean, he's nowhere near as big or experienced as your guys, but he had a similar situation where he was a lot bigger than me. But I would always sweep him or submit him immediately when he was in my guard. And he realized pretty soon that it was because if I got like if I got a hold of his leg or if I got a hold of his arm or if I got an underhook on him, he was cooked. Right. So Mm. he realized pretty quickly that the best strategy is not to let me do that. Structures. Exactly. So now that he knows that, you know, if you keep T-Rex arms in and you don't 
like leave your leg sticking out and you don't let me get the underhook. Now it's a nightmare for me to sweep this guy. And he's, I mean, he's a lot bigger than me, but he's only a blue belt. And I still have a heck of a time sweeping him Mm -hmm. just because he's so good at closing up those gaps. So having a frugal strategy is important because, I mean, yeah, sometimes being hyper aggressive, sometimes that will work, especially if you catch your opponent off guard. But when it goes wrong, it usually goes catastrophically wrong. Uh, On the other hand, if you're frugal and you're not greedy about trying to like go for a pass before you get your grips and before you and and without protecting your structure and your posture um if you're not greedy about that stuff then you're more likely going to be able to hold the position and make things happen the way that you want so we've talked in the past too about how jujitsu is in a lot of ways it's a game of probabilities right and if you're going for like catch submissions or you're just trying to power through a pass or power through a submission yeah you might get it but you're the probability is going to be a lot lower than if you were very frugal with your strategy it's better to be frugal and have like an 80 percent chance of getting what you want versus being explosive but leaving openings and only having a 40 percent chance of getting what you want yeah like for anyone listening if you've ever sparred with someone on their first day generally what they try and do is like if you're in if you're on the bottom position they'll try and rush your guard and and put all their energy into you all their force because they don't really know what to do they have no control of their center of gravity they have no idea about alignment anything like that so generally they will be rushing your guard and as a result it makes it quite easy to reverse them and use their own momentum against them so um that's one of the common most common mistakes that I see beginners make it's one of the you know I remember when I was a white belt I did that and that was a very big learning lesson for me I kept getting arm barred by this guy uh and and I was like how are you arm barring me he's like because you're rushing right in and you're allowing me Mm -hmm. to just you know redirect you so only fools rush in that's great movie Uh, (laughs) uh but yeah like you know being being able to also pull back and give less energy is one of the key fundamentals to you know not getting swept not getting thrown uh in grappling in general and yeah. and not 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 overexerting yourself and um the, you know you'll notice when you watch high level jiu-jitsu like black belt divisions a lot of the time you don't even see a lot of movement some matches uh you'll get two really high level opponents that just sort of cancel each other out and lock in and and for minutes at a time there's not a lot of action happening and it's because they're both so high level and there's so much jockeying for control that's going on neither of them wants to give the other one too much uh too much of a lever sticking out or too much of their momentum or center of gravity whereas if you watch like two purple belts or two blue belts go at it a lot of the time it's way more entertaining (laughs) you'll just see like two cats fighting and guys are willing to go for stuff because they're a little bit less uh you know, maybe a little strategic, bit less aware less and strategic, possibly right? less strategic as well. Like <laughs> a funny thing, one of my buddies, Clint Cooper, said to me, he's like, man, if I if I uh, put on, you know, uh, IBJJF Worlds in the black belt division, I'm falling asleep by the sixth minute. But I could watch kids fight all day long <laughs> <laughs> in my kids class. <laughs> it's funny because, I mean, I, I think everyone can readily observe this at their gym. Like at our gym, I love watching like the purple belts go at it because they're good enough that they can can do good jujitsu but they're also still inexperienced enough that they will just throw caution to, to the wind so it's amazing to watch they'll just be you know it reminds me of those old looney tunes cartoons where you've got like two people fighting and you just see like a cloud and every once Basically, in a while every once Tasmanian in a while a devil. pops out or something yeah. yeah that's what it looks like but if you watch two black belts fight it can be very boring like they can be. be just sitting in guard for like 
10 minutes yeah. with nothing visibly happening. Yeah. But man, when you're the guy in the match, you realize there's a lot of very, very high level strategy happening. Yeah. And that's and that's the patience aspect that you only get after like, you know, seven to 10 years of, of competition experience, because then you actually start like it's ha- it's happening to me now is where I'm actually developing a, a skill where I can play the rules as opposed to just grappling. Right. If you just go in there and trying to win a match you leave a lot of mistakes open and then your if your opponent is is more aware they can capitalize on those mistakes and play the rules whereas you know if you're very frugal with your game and you're thinking about the points and you're you know you're trying not to make these mistakes the match can be less less entertaining to watch but you know at the highest level sometimes it has to be that way because your opponent's going to be very much the same you know it's all about winning right so Sometimes that's how it goes in these matches. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's funny that you mentioned that, how, you know, patience and frugality go so hand in hand. And it it is hard when you really want to win and you really want to get a submission or a sweep. It's hard to understand that you have to be patient. And your, your gut reaction might be to go for something, but you've got to be smart about it. Because if you don't have control when you initiate an attack sequence, you're going to leave something exposed. Uh, we've talked in the past heavily about the importance, for example, of the engagement phase and of grips. Uh, gr- the grip fighting is really one of the most important phases of jujitsu. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you look at black belts, part of the reason why it looks like nothing is happening is because a good black belt is not going to move until they know they've won the grip fight. Like, I I am not going to try to pass someone who's got dominant grips on me. I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to try to defeat their grips. And only once I know that I have the grip situation under control will I try to pass. Whereas a purple belt might not be so concerned about that. They might just try to, like, power their way through something or just try to explode through it. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that can work, but you really leave an opening because what's going to happen is if your opponent has grips on you and you try to do a pass or do really pretty much anything by virtue of the fact that they have the dominant grips, that means that they've got one of your levers. So you're doing a big explosive or committed movement while someone has control of one of your arms or your legs or even your neck. And that almost always means something bad is going to happen to you. So when we talk about frugality, a big part of that is understanding understanding that you don't move and you don't go until you've won the grip fight. Yeah, it's it's a it's a basically we're describing like patience and exactly and understanding of the grips and the strategy involved. But, you know, not rushing in is a great point, Steve, like rushing in and giving up, uh, uh, giving up your base and your center of gravity and then, you know, eating a sweep or, or getting submitted is not, you know, that's never the goal in jujitsu. The goal is to be efficient and to make as few mistakes as possible. So sometimes uh, a lot of the time in jujitsu, less is more. And yeah, I, yeah. I try and do that more and more now because I know how frustrating it can be against yeah. when you're rolling with someone and you're you're being really frugal and they're looking at you like frustrated as hell because they can't out grip you. They want to progress, but but you're not letting them. Right. And then learning how to sort of corner people and funnel them into these little traps where you can now set up certain certain techniques because they're getting impatient is also a a good skill for for anyone. Yeah. And against someone who is not particularly experienced or hasn't really consciously defined a strategy, sometimes being frugal is very effective because like you said, Matt, they will get frustrated and eventually they'll get they'll, they might get greedy, right? If they if you continually frustrate someone and you don't give them any openings to attack, at some point they might make the 
mistake of trying to go for it, even though they there's really no opening. And that's what you want, because that means that the other person is creating an opening for yeah. you. Now, this is maybe not so likely to happen at high levels. But, you know, if you're at brown belt or below, it's completely feasible that if you can just deny your opponent any opportunity to attack you, then eventually they're probably going to get frustrated and try to power through something. And that's usually where openings get left. Yeah. And you, and usually in grappling um, and even like any combat sport, really, any offensive movement or attack is going to leave some degree of vulnerability. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people will. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're in top position or bottom position. A lot of people will wait for that moment at the highest level because uh, those openings become so few and far between. True masters of the game will actually, you know, wait for these opportunities where someone employs an attack and then use that to launch a counter attack. Right. Um, when I fought Bruno Frazado at, at the Las Vegas Open in the finals, like the whole first five minutes, he was not really doing too much at all you know and he was happy to play on top i could tell he was preparing for adcc and he was um you know he wasn't really doing too much and i knew that he was going to come out a little bit slower and then as the match progressed that's when he was going to start turning it on and as i started i went for an arm drag around the six minute mark i think and uh and then he used that as he based out he used it to hop over into a really slick knee cut pass Mm -hmm. and as soon as he landed chest to chest i knew i was done because he had the underhook he had the he had his knee through and at the end of his foot wasn't exposed so i was like god damn it like i'm caught here sure enough he passed he mounted me and then i was I fought off the mount for like two minutes. And then the last few minutes of the match, I was basically just playing catch up. I was down, you know, by a pretty sizable lead at that point. So it was like a really smart strategy uh, to go against someone who's, you know, a veteran of that of that degree and who uh, to give to fall for his trap, essentially, where he was just more patient than me. And then he just capitalized on my uh, attempt. Right. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. you know. And and it can be hard to be patient, too, when you've got the clock running against you, right? That's a challenging thing to do. And and to some extent, you have to balance patience versus time constraints. But in a lot of situations, uh, frugality is probably the governing strategy, especially if things are generally even at that point in time. Um, Yeah, I I guess that's that's good to understand that even at the high levels, people make those mistakes and leave those kinds of openings. I read a great article, I think on Farnham Street, a, a really awesome blog about mental models where they were talking about how, you know, for for average people or anyone, you know, for anyone who's basically not like the number one person in the world, sometimes the easiest way to win is like it's not to try to be brilliant it's just to try to avoid making any mistakes because a lot of the time that's all that success means is just you minimize making mistakes for a long period of time Uh, so that's really one of the reasons why frugality is so important because against a good opponent if you make a mistake they will capitalize on it without hesitation Uh, this is something that at the junior levels often you don't notice because people are making mistakes left and right and you know a lot of the time if you're sparring at a blue belt level if you make a mistake your opponent might miss that window and then you can just keep going and and you may not realize how many mistakes you're making but i can tell you i mean when i spar with a black belt if i make any kind of mistake whatsoever then they're immediately on it right like there's you have a split second to to capitalize and a good black belt will capitalize during that split second if you make a mistake Mm mm-hmm 
So that's one of the reasons why I think it's good actually to maximize your training with experienced people because they will not allow you to make mistakes and kind of wave them away. You will become acutely aware if you make a mistake because you'll pay for it right away. Yeah. And you have to have the lower ranked roles as well. (laughs) I mean, if you're if you're a gym owner, like when I roll with, uh, I'd say probably like 40 percent, 30 percent of my roles are with white belts. And, you know, I have my own reasons for that. It's not because I enjoy beating up white belts, but it's because as a gym owner, someone new comes in the door. I don't want them to think that I'm not going to roll with them because they're a white belt. So I want to make sure that I I get a feel for everyone in the gym, regardless of level. And I also uh, show that value that they're paying me the money. I'm going to I'm going to also give them my time to roll as well. I'm not just going to be hunting the the high level roles, but you do have to have like a variety of different levels to train with. You need to have the the beginners where you can kind of do what you want and you can experiment. And then you also need to have the higher level guys that really don't let shit slide. They, it's harder to make stuff work on them. Just like just like how I think you need to have the small small, agile, quick guys, and you also need to have the big bruisers to roll with. Just yeah. that contrast, I think, kind of gives you that full spectrum of, uh, of training partners. It's the whole plus minus equals thing, right? You want to have people that you train with who are better than you, people who are inferior than you, and people who are on your level, because you're going to get different lessons and different value out of training with all of them. Like, mm-hmm. I actually really enjoy training with white belts, especially because it forces me to really analyze what they're doing. Um, first yep. of all, because if I can help them get better and I can tell, I can give them advice on how to defeat me, then that makes me better. I mean, yeah. I can actually get a really good, valuable role out of a white belt a lot of the time because if they've been rolling with me for a while and I just tell them what I'm doing and how to shut it down, I mean, if they can attune themselves to my game specifically, then yeah, even if they're not a well-rounded grappler, if they know how to deal with my game, it forces me to to vary things up and to shake things up. So there's value in raising the level in the room, right? There's value in helping those guys get better. Um, But also the other thing with rolling with white belts and, and lower level belts is it forces you to really understand what you're doing because you have to train and and, uh, encourage them. So it gives you the opportunity to look for mistakes in their game and help correct them. I mean, the problem with training with guys who are really good is you're very much in the moment. You're just trying to survive or you're trying to win. Whereas if you're training with a white belt, you can slow things down and analyze and help them. And that forces you to really think things through consciously in a way that you often don't do when you're grappling competitively. So I I find it very valuable, actually, to train with lower level belts. I train, I mean, obviously, being one of the senior guys in my gym, most of my roles are with lower level guys. And I find that to be extremely valuable across the board for me and hopefully for them as well. Isn't it funny when you roll with like a beginner or or just a lower ranked like white belt when they do stupid shit it's like it can throw you off because yeah, sometimes yeah. you just you ex- you expect uh like a reaction from someone who is maybe more aware or has the proper responses like the predictable responses that you have basically aren't there yeah so you so you do something to someone new and and there's a whole different type of predictable responses a lot of them are based around unpredictable unpredictable response like survival you know like for example if if you're behind a white belt you gotta we gotta be worrying worrying about them flailing their elbows and hitting you in the head and stuff like that so like it adds a whole different degree of predictable responses where you know this guy doesn't really know what he's doing it's an interesting contrast rolling with someone i find quite often when i'm rolling with a higher level guy 
uh, it, it, the roll goes much smoother than yeah. if I roll with like a white belt. Like, I, you know, so there, obviously there are really good white belts. There's white belts that are mature above their, you know, their their skill level and, and they, they move, um, you know, you can tell that they're thinking. And then there's other white belts who are just shit shows and they're just spazzing and trying so hard. And it's like, I find those roles are often... Not only are they not as pleasant, but they're not as smooth as like if I roll with some of my senior purples and and uh, and above. Right? Yeah, one hundred percent. These are people who have not yet learned frugality, right, and the importance of kind of biding your time and picking your spots. Um, there is something to be said about predictable responses because the predictable responses that you're going to get out of a trained opponent are often very different from the ones that you're going to get from an untrained opponent. An untrained opponent is probably not going to be frugal and they're not going to have solid technique. They're just going to flail and go for it. Use attributes. Yeah. And and so the problem is if you are really used to training only with very technical experienced people, you might find yourself underperforming when you train with the whitest of the white belts. And I've had this, I've had this happen to me and I learned from that lesson that I need to make sure I'm still training with the brand new guys because I've been in situations where, you know, I I pick a new guy to train with and I'm trying to do technical jujitsu and this guy's never even heard of technical jujitsu and he might actually even kick my ass because I just it's been so long since I've actually trained with someone who doesn't do the right thing that the predictable responses I'm expecting are not there. So it is important, especially if you're interested in any aspect of self-defense, it is important to train with brand new people because they have a completely different set of predictable responses like their predictable responses are going to be they're going to come from biological programming whereas like when you and me train like fight or flight (laughs) yeah 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 whereas when you or or me train our bio art responses are going to come from years of drilling and technical training where we've programmed ourselves to respond using jujitsu whereas an untrained person is going to basically just do whatever their body tells them in that situation (laughs) so that's how you get hurt yeah so both of you (laughs) well exactly right there's a very high risk of injury um and if you're not used to that kind of intensity basically someone who has no concept of frugality if you're not used to that then it can really put you on the spot and even a a very experienced grappler can get uh, can get flustered by that and can underperform in that situation so interestingly the way that i shut this down um a common mistake that people make when they're sparring with someone who is being overly aggressive and not frugal a common mistake is that you yourself if you get flustered you go into fight or flight and then you try to match their intensity that's a really bad idea because someone's going to get injured and you're also lowering yourself to their skill level right like if i'm sparring with some white belt and they try to just smash me with no technique and my response is to be like okay fine well if you're going to do that i'm going to do that (laughs) and then i start trying to muscle them like now i'm i'm playing using my worst possible game i should be using technique and i'm not being frugal and i'm basically lowering myself to their skill level and now the risk of injury is going to go up dramatically for both of us So interestingly, I find when your opponent is not being frugal and they're overly aggressive, the best thing for you to do is to be super frugal, basically like shell up, shore up your defense and let the other guy basically make a mistake because he will like let him burn out his energy and let him leave an arm or a leg dangling and then exploit that. Uh, That's a common mistake that happens, especially against a, a bigger or more aggressive person. So frugality is the answer in a situation like that, if you ask me. Yeah, it's pretty funny how like I see a lot of new people coming through the gym all the time and some of them just have like this maturity about them. They understand, okay, I need to conserve energy. I need to think about my movement and they'll do really well right off the bat. And then other guys will come in and it'll just be 
it'll just be crazy like spazzing freaking out like crazy spazzy movements it's it's funny how some people have that that awareness and other people just lack it completely it could be a background thing like it could be someone maybe as a wrestler they feel like well wrestling is kind of a, an explosive grappling art right so mm-hmm. i'm going to use what i know which is how to be explosive whereas someone who comes in without any grappling experience at all is almost trying to like match the pace a little bit so they don't think that they have to be as explosive but uh there's definitely a, a wide variety of junior people to train with and like you said steve you can't always be matching intensity for intensity now that being said i <laughs> sometimes i do like usually what will happen is if i'm rolling with someone new and this has happened recently i've basically i always try and kill them with kindness right like like you said like go start off going slow you know if they start turning it up see if you can just exploit them a little bit and and uh look for an opening and quite often there is an opening because they don't they're not frugal right they'll just come right at you but uh i remember like a a few weeks ago a guy came in and he was rolling really hard like really hard with everyone not a big guy smaller than me and rolled with me really hard and uh not not good technique and then after a few rounds i i just told the class i didn't single him out but i said hey just so you guys know you know if you're if you're new and you go really hard you know, your, your, your partner's going to match your intensity. So just in jujitsu, just know that like the harder you go bigger, better chance that your opponent is going to try and turn it up again. So that was like my fair warning. Right. And then I watch him again. He rolls with one of my se- or sorry, one of my junior guys. And he's like, he's grinding his head into him. He's like driving his elbows into his legs and all Exciting. this stuff. I'm like, okay, I've, I've, I've been nice. I've shown you. Now I've it's told time to you. smash the and white now, belt. Now it's time for you to learn, right? So, so then I roll with him again. He comes at me, instant sweep into mount, and then I just drove my belly into his face for like two minutes and just, <laughs> just totally immobilized him, shut him down, and just didn't submit him, but just held him down. It was just like, hey, yeah. like this is now what's going to happen. You have to be put down now. Like I tried to tell you, I tried to show you, and now you know I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not going to match. An, uh, an intensity if you're i don't de- have to you're actually de-escalating in that I situation de-escalated. i i immobilized him using wedges right i used wedges to immobilize his body and eventually i just isolated his arm and i just had it so separated from his body i just held it there and he knew that that arm was gone if i wanted it right yeah and yeah. then i just and then i just went to his back held him in his back and then right as the time was running out i finished him with a choke just to like prove put home that like you know explosiveness and athleticism is not you know, as as valuable as it can be when skill is the same and technique is the same, it's not the driving force behind your game. It shouldn't be anyways, in my opinion, especially if you're like, you know, smaller than a guy like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, that I find is sometimes the only way that people are going to learn is to yeah. see it and experience it in action and understand like what happens when a much higher level person decides to use jujitsu to basically just completely deescalate you and prevent you from being able to move or really do much of anything um that to some you know it's one thing to say this is how jujitsu is supposed to work but i think sometimes it you know it's very hard to go against your body's natural programming a lot of the time these people are not being like dicks it's just this is what their body has pro- it has in it programmed them to do when they're in a scary fight or flight situation and they don't have the experience yet to be in control of that response so sometimes with some people unfortunately 
just telling them the words is not good enough. You have to actually show them directly and it just needs to be drilled into them repeatedly over and over again. But yeah, to your point, I mean, there are some people who just they walk onto the mats and they're just like they just kind of naturally have the right movements. I mean, I remember when you 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 and I started, you always kind of felt like you had sort of the right movements. Um, I think it's just a natural way of being in tune with your body. I don't know if maybe it's comes from people who just have more athletic experience because it presumably even if you come from a completely unrelated sport uh to some level if you if you train anything you're going to develop an awareness of how your body works and what kind of movements are efficient and what kind of movements are not because i I definitely can relate there are some people that i train with and even at a very junior level it feels like they're in control yeah and i mean yeah they might not they might not beat me but they might dramatically overperform what i expected of them and I, i can think of some people i train with who kind of fall under that bucket where even at a white belt or a blue belt level it just feels like they're moving in all of the right ways that's right and and as like a as the instructor if i'm rolling with someone who's like brand new it doesn't impress me if you can like muscle through things or if you can you know force like a you know you can force a sweep or or you scramble so much that you get the better of me and that doesn't impress me at all what that impresses impress me you is much that don't impress me much uh, what, what needs to impress you 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 don't you know that they've got the moves but you need to know do they have the touch do they have the touch <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's like you said the the proper reaction and the proper movement is what impresses me right yeah and usually after i roll with a beginner as the as the coach i will always give some form of feedback whether it's like you need to you need to do less man you need to stop moving so much yeah. or hey you know what you did this you always thought about managing the distance you know as soon as i swept you you, you fought to get right back to a guard that's really good like it's really important to give that immediate feedback we talked about the feedback yeah. loop, right and how that can really help help um you know reinforce the proper the proper uh you know uh corrections from the beginning as an instructor so i think you know i think it's pretty important to make sure as the as the owner of the gym that you're rolling with everyone and that you're giving that immediate feedback yeah absolutely especially when it comes to training out your natural biological impulses immediate feedback is a very very good way to do it Uh, as as a senior guy it's one of the most helpful things that you can do with your more junior students rather than getting obsessive about like did they miss step 11 of this 12 step arm bar sometimes it can be better (laughs) sometimes it can be better to just be like just point out and be like you're breathing too hard or your muscles are too tense right now or you're not being frugal enough because for most people rather than focusing on very specific techniques just drilling in those good body mechanics is going to be a lot more valuable than worrying about specific moves or techniques. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of frugality, like maybe we can give some very specific examples because I, I hope at this point we've convinced people that this is important. But let's talk about, I guess a good example is like I'm trying to pass someone's guard. Maybe, I don't know, open guard, closed guard, whatever. Um, if I'm trying to pass someone's guard, like what does frugality look like in that situation? What would a good frugal guard passer look like versus someone who is not being frugal? Um, well, I mean, I think it kind of depends on the position, but if I'm, let's say you're not, you don't have a closed guard. So let's say I have, let's say your legs aren't wrapped around my body and closing so that I can't escape. Okay. So I'm like in an open guard. Well, first of all, to be frugal, I need to make sure that you don't have any strong grips on me. So if you have a collar grip, I'm not going to try and like rush your guard. Could I pass your guard if you have a collar grip? I could in theory, but there's also a really good chance that if you're a good guard player, you're going to elevate me, you're going to move me around and that 
that collar grip is going to be tough. So I need to make sure I break all grips. And I also need to make sure like if I'm in a combat base in your guard and I'm, I'm, I'm taking a lower stance that I, you know, I keep my knee up in the middle. I connect my knee to my elbow so that there's no chance that you're going to suck me into a closed guard. There's no chance you can isolate my arm as a lever and possibly attack me from there. Just basically keeping good alignment, I think is, is, uh, that's what good, that's what frugality would look like when I'm in top, uh, on top in the guard. And then usually, you know, I, I roll a, some guys that are really old school like uh like a Bibiano Fernandez and uh Rafael Laporta these guys are you know I, th- I think they're both fourth degree black belts and they're both pretty like Bibby's smaller than me and feels like he's he must weigh like 190 pounds he's so freaking strong and fast and then Hafa is pretty much exactly my size um different styles Rafael is a lot slower and a lot more frugal but as soon as he gets the grips that he wants he starts immediately using pressure Bibiano's mm. another guy who actually isn't super frugal but his his timing is so good that he will immediately go to pass so so one thing I've realized that when I trained with Bibiano is it when I'm standing with him, he's very frugal. He doesn't go in for a lot of takedowns until he gets grips and whatnot, but he waits for me to pull guard on him. As soon as I pull, he's immediately passing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, really, I hate when people do it's that. It's really tough. So like, cause I usually play the collar, collar and sleeve or the collar and ankle, mm-hmm. right? So if I, pl- if I get my collar grip and I pull on him, he immediately will try and grab my legs and pass. So I realized last time I rolled him, if I get a two on one on the sleeve and I pull, it's harder for him to pass because he can't grip anything. Cause mm-hmm. I have one of his arms right. completely, completely caught. Right. So it's like, I'm trying to find ways that I can shut down his dynamic passing strategy. But if I get into a, like, if let's say I, I lock up a guard and I get defensive, he immediately stops trying to pass and he gets really low and waits. Yeah. And yeah. then he usually will look for a double underpass. That's kind of the pass he always gets me with in the gi anyways. Got it. Got and, it. Uh, and yeah, he's very much like pressure based pass once he gets into that position. You know, it's interesting because what you're describing is e- even though you're talking about someone who has very much a, 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 a speed based and dynamic game, what you're describing does still sound like a frugality strategy because because he knows that when you go to pull guard, that's going to leave openings. Pulling yeah. guard always leaves some degree of opening. So he's waiting for that. He's not trying to force the situation. He's not trying to do a yeah. takedown or pull guard himself. He's waiting for you to make the big movement that's going to leave an opening. And then his whole game funnels into exploiting that. So that even if his game is very speed based and dynamic, that's still a frugality strategy. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I do something very similar too, where when I'm standing up with people, I mean, I, I really have no interest in trying to throw or take someone down so but i will stand up with people all that barbaric stuff all that yeah all that all of that barbaric <laughs> barbaric judo and wrestling Ugh, yeah takedowns um, but I, I will play stand up mostly with the intent of frustrating my opponent yes. and getting them to burn energy. So I'll make them grip fight me for a while, knowing that I can block base in, in the gi anyway. I can block almost any shot or throw just by being a nuisance. And then eventually, once they start to get tired, then I'll start to funnel it into my game. So I do it just to, to kind of create a, a point of frustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a I just competed in the revolution last weekend in Tacoma and um, I actually got silver. I lost in the finals by referee's decision, which is really frustrating. And it was I was actually being too frugal in that match. And it's funny how it can work in that way, too. You know, like I I uh, here, here's an example, like throughout Brown Belt, I played a lot with Barambolos and crab rides. And like I was trying to force myself upside down in a lot of my matches. I was trying to force it and I was trying to force leg locks as well because they were kind of the flavors that I was playing with. 
they are spicy and, and they are spicy. And I tried to, uh, I tried to make those things happen in the matches. I wanted to see how successful I could be. You know, you, you, if you follow guys like Mendez brothers, they're Baron bowling everyone in their matches. It's like, okay, I want to, I want to be like that. I want to move like that. So the best way to do it is try in competition. And, uh, it worked sometimes a lot of the time it would fail because I'd be forcing something that wasn't there. Yeah. And then again, someone who's got really good base and understands how to shut it down. You're so, making openings then, right? You're making openings. And a lot of the time, I would end up getting stacked for like five minutes and it's just like a shitty way to lose a match right um so once I got my black belt uh you know I put out my dvd or whatever on the on inversions and then I started actually moving my game backwards from fancy stuff into a more traditional style you know like pass the guard uh get to mount just work basic things from there hunt the back instead of inverting but this was actually a match where I think that I could have done more and I probably should have gone upside down a little bit because I don't think my opponent would have expected it I didn't really see any Baron Bolo's at all um when I was down there and I feel like if I had gone for some Baron Bolos, it might've opened up. So it's funny how like, you know, you do want to be frugal, especially in competition. You don't want to do anything that you haven't really practiced and you don't want to do anything that could leave you with a lot of risk. But at the same time, if you're too frugal, that's also not good because then you get a situation where you get a referee's decision, you leave it in the hands of the referee and they're going to pick someone, right? And 50% yeah, yeah, 50 yeah. chance it's you. Like I thought I did enough to win the match, but the referee thought something else. So, you know, I could have gone for more, I think. And I think, I think that, uh, you know, mixing in rather than just funneling to Barambolo, trying to mix something in, that was maybe a little bit, uh, you know, unorthodox from the standard traditional jujitsu probably would have been a nice mix, but you know, hindsight's 2020 20 now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, th this is an important takeaway that frugality doesn't mean don't do anything. Uh, you know, it's I, when you're talking about finance, I've heard people say that like, there's a difference between being cheap and being frugal. You know, people who are cheap just worry and they don't spend money on anything regardless. And they're so focused on not spending anything. Frugal people will spend money, but they'll do it smartly and mm -hmm. they're not going to waste. They're going to be efficient. And I think that's an important distinction to make in jujitsu as well, because frugality does not mean you sit there and you do nothing. I mean, you're still trying to win. And this is especially important in a competition standpoint, because if you're in a position where you are the one who is expected to be the aggressor, like if you're the one who's on top in guard, you might get penalized if you're not doing yeah. anything. So you are still trying to attack you are still trying to win but the difference is you're not stupid about your placement you're not stupid about like i'm so eager that i'm gonna try and go before i've got my grips or i'm not i'm you know i'm gonna go before before i've secured the positioning of my arms and my legs frugality doesn't mean you just sit there like a rock it just means that you you make sure that you've taken care of your own defense before you go on offense that to me that's really what it means mm -hmm. so fr <laughs> frugality is not intended to be an endorsement of being like lazy or passive you still want to be aggressive it's just a matter of making sure that while being aggressive you are keeping your own body safe um, this is also important for injury prevention i mean a, a frugal style is not just good for for a strategy it's also good for energy conservation and it's good for injury prevention yeah. if you keep your arms your legs and your neck secured and you're not like throwing yourself into a position while leaving one of your limbs or your neck dangling you're less likely to get injured because there's just less damage that can go wrong if your opponent is not doesn't have you all tangled up somehow right so i found for me this has been a very helpful strategy for reducing injury is just to be very frugal and make sure that my <clears throat> opponent does not get a strong grip on me one way or the other yeah and and as you and i get older steve we know that all these things make sense in terms of 
not only just losing athletic ability and slowing down, but like you say, like preventing injury and things like that. Like you don't want to think about going in, like being a 50 year old grappler and still using the same athleticism and, and attributes that you had when you were 25, right? It changes. So, uh, definitely a frugal mindset is like you said, it prevents injuries. And, you know, (laughs) as we get older and, and later on into our grappling journeys, it's definitely something that I think is important to stay safe and yeah, stay definitely. on the mats. The other thing too is that I think the reason why some people don't adopt frugal strategies until later is because it's easy to give yourself a lot of false positives if you're being like spazzy and aggressive. Uh, as as an example, I mean, when you are like. I don't know, let's say your purple belt or brown belt or blue belt or whatever. Probably the way that you're measuring your own performance during training is like, how many submissions did I get today? Did I get submitted? Did someone submit me? And the problem with that kind of mindset is, yeah, you might have submitted like two people, but maybe in every other role you had, you went for a submission and you failed and then you wound up just like getting pinned on the bottom. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is that really a good thing, right? If your submission yeah. rate is like 20 or 40%, but then every other time you're getting just like smashed on the bottom. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the brain kind of tunes out those experiences if you're looking to measure how many submissions you got. This is another reason why yeah. counting submissions in the gym is not effective. Yeah. Like I, you know, when I was more junior, that's kind of how I gauged my own performance is, am I getting submissions or am I getting submitted? And that's kind of how I decided whether it was a good or a bad day on the mats. But now I don't care so much if I get like a lot of days, I don't get any submissions at all. Mm-hmm. What I care about now is predictability. I want to know when I trained today, how many matches was I able to control the position? And as long as I felt like I was the one in control and I could secure top position or keep my opponent at bay, I'm happy. Uh, And I will not attack a submission if there's a percentage chance uh, that it's going to go sideways and I'm going to wind up on the bottom and get into a bad spot. Like I would rather maintain control and maintain good predictability in terms of where the match is going to go than Mm -hmm. attempt a submission and maybe suffer catastrophic losses if I I fail and it goes wrong. So this is another reason why frugality is important is because like, especially at a junior level, submissions kind of give you this high of, oh, I did a great job on the mat. But like if you had 10 rolls and you got subs in two of them and then you wound up getting pinned and bottom side control on the other eight, was that really a good day? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, your focus should be, I was safe and secure in every single match I had. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And I think I think a lot of people, those goals aren't necessarily clear and it might just be where they train or the philosophy of their coach. It might be that they are uh, competitors specifically in submission only competition. So they don't care if they get past, you know, usually sub only is like a no gi situation, not always, but but a lot of the time. So they feel like, well, if I get my guard passed, it's just a matter of time until I get my guard back. Like Mm -hmm. I can slip out of it. But if, if you're in the gi and you get your guard passed, I find it a lot more difficult to escape sometimes just because of the friction and the grips and things like this. So, you know, it, Sometimes you'll have certain goggles on that will give you those false positives where you're like, well, who cares if I get my guard passed? I, I, yeah. I train for sub only. I don't, you know, as, or, or as long as I can get to like overtime, I'm good. You know, it's like, well, that's not really, that's why the points are there because the points dictate positions that are dangerous. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. My, my, my philosophy has changed over the years. I used to love submission only grappling. And now the, the older I get, the more that I really value position 
positional play and points and all those things. Um, I think you need to have an awareness and an appreciation for all the rule sets and to be able to not only not get submitted, but to be able to dictate the position, but to just be like, oh, well, you know, I got a bunch of submissions today, but I also got passed a bunch. It's like, well, yeah, that's a false positive. That's not really like, you know, because if, if, if that right, if that wrong person passes your guard, you know, you can't always rely that you're going to get out. Right. So the better strategy will be, how can I make my guard unpassable? Yeah. How, would, how can I create predictable results in my matches? Like, yeah. how can I make sure that, you know, rather than like, how do I end this with the submission? How can I make sure that yeah. 80 or 90 percent of the time things go the way that I expect them to go? Predictability is so important when it comes to high performance in a martial art. Like if you're if you're one of these people who has just incredible submissions, but if you don't get to that position then you get screwed like that's not really a good or a complete game i mean i kind of think of some of these like specialists like um for example do you remember that guy in the ufc cody mckenzie from, yeah uh, the guy who's like guillotine a, guy from he, had the, he had an amazing guillotine but like if he didn't get that guillotine he, he was kind of screwed and yeah there were a few amazing matches he had where he got these just brutal looking guillotines on people yeah. and that's a great skill to have in your back pocket yeah. but it felt very much with him like the match was a coin flip because if he didn't get his guillotine he was in big big trouble so yeah. you've got to you've got to have a more complete game and um it's it's great if you have like one deadly submission like that but you've got to or, or in his case the deadliest catch because he was alaskan um, and a fisherman and a fisherman but you've got to have a way to have a, a predictable outcome to your match and get the funnel back to where you want yeah. it to go and at that level i mean it's recorded people are going to be studying your matches like if you see that this guy just keeps guillotining everyone and you have to fight him you're definitely going to funnel the match away from for example shooting in on like yeah. a double and giving him your head right you just won't do that because you know that you're you know, you're just putting yourself in the most vulnerable position you can do. So you'll stay away from that position. Yeah. Uh, Cody McKenzie. That's his name, right? Cody McKenzie. Yeah. Let's remember his best match against Philip Matos in the Gi when he got wrist locked in like three seconds. Do you remember that? Was that? Was that Philippe? Yeah. Is that is that who Philippe was fighting? Because yeah. I saw that match and I remember it. Philippe, for those who don't know, Philippe Matos is a a very well known local guy, really awesome guy from the Vancouver area, um, head instructor of Roll Academy in beautiful North Vancouver. Yeah, he was fighting Cody McKenzie in the gi. Cody gripped his collar and then Philippe did an instant wrist lock on him. And then Cody, after he got, after Philippe got his hand raised, Cody's like, want to do it again? I don't know that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> want to do it again i didn't get to guillotine you so yeah, <laughs> yeah cool that's funny awesome well we i think this was a really valuable talk matt is there anything else you wanted to add about frugality before we wrap it up uh not really i mean i think we covered it all and just in life too like sometimes <clears throat> sometimes you know when you're thinking about like what obstacles you want to go through in life like for example for a while there my obstacle was how do i get out of my job and make cooking my full-time job or sorry make, make jujitsu make jujitsu my full-time job and you know you got to assess obstacles in your path that might might slow you down from reaching your goal mm -hmm. and a lot you know maybe it's that new car you know maybe it's you want to go out and go partying every weekend and a lot of them are financial things in the real world let's be honest right certain things can hold you back so being frugal in your in your life you know not going out and partying and spending two hundred dollars on on a bar tab or not buying that new car or you know not eating out five days a week these things add up and eventually yeah. you can reach certain goals a lot quicker so i think frugality 
quality is a really important thing to to think about in life too not necessarily being cheap although you could kind of look at it as mm-hmm. being cheap but just being smart with your money and uh you know you'll be amazed at how much money you'll save even if you don't buy coffee all the time like this is something that i'm guilty of is usually i'll buy a coffee probably five times a week right and it adds up right i mean adds up a lot you go to starbucks and you drop five bucks a day on coffee or 10 bucks a day on coffee and that winds up being hundreds of dollars every month and it's yeah it's kind of like a silent cost because it's not one big expense it's a series of very very small ones but when it adds up at the end of the month you realize like these little these little pebbles have grown into a pretty big pile yeah Yeah, um frugality and cheapness like we said are kind of different things i mean cheapness is kind of an example of like a scarcity mindset where you're so afraid of doing anything that you're just not spending any money at all. And that's not great. Uh, frugality is better because that's where you're being intentional about how you spend money. Yeah. You're being smart about it. You're not you're not afraid to do it where it makes sense. But, you know, the one thing to bear in mind is that it is a lot easier to, like, avoid a big problem than to get into that big problem and then try to dig your way back out. I mean, debt is a perfect example of this. It's relatively easy to avoid going into debt. It's very hard to get out of debt. So, yeah. um, and, and this is a... a a good example of strategy, not just in life, but in jujitsu as well. You know, it's the same thing in jujitsu. And that's why you want to avoid getting caught in these bad positions. It's very hard to dig yourself out of a hole. It's a lot easier to just not get into the hole in the first place. Mm-hmm. Cool. So in terms of mental models that we talked about today, we talked about um, grips dictating position. This is really first and foremost, probably the most important thing as it pertains to frugality. I mean, if you just set to yourself the goal that you're not going to advance your attack until you've won the grip fight, you probably already have a pretty good frugal style, and that's going to keep you safe in most situations. We talked about plus minus equals. This is a mental model that was pioneered by Frank Shamrock, actually, and is what he basically talks about is that you need to train with people who are better lesser and equal to you in terms of skill because you're going to get different benefits from training with each group we talked about raising the level in the room Um, when you're dealing with more junior people if you can attune them to how to defeat your game specifically not only is it going to make them more effective but it's going to make you more effective and you can wind up getting pretty quality roles out of junior people even if you're a lot more experienced than they are We talked about predictable responses. I mean, a a lot of frugality is understanding that um, predictable responses vary depending on level of experience. And the predictable responses that you're going to get out of a very junior person are quite different from the ones you're going to get out of a more senior person. Usually the new white belts, their predictable responses will not be frugal at all. They're just going to bum rush you. And that's a style that you, you know, you if you're not ready and equipped to deal with that, then even if you're very experienced, it can throw you off. We talked about the feedback loop. Uh, One of the best ways to encourage frugality in your students is to tell them right away when they're not being frugal so that they can fix the problem on the spot. Uh, Good feedback is timely and actionable. So you want to tell people right away when you've got that feedback for them and you want to make sure that they know what they have to do to fix the problem. Uh, And last, we talked about um, the the scarcity mindset as opposed to an abundance mindset. Uh, Frugality does not mean being like cheap. It doesn't mean do nothing. That's a, a scarcity mindset it just means be intentional and intelligent and efficient with where you do expend your energy or in in the rest of your life where you expend your money as well right yeah meaning like 
don't think like, oh, I never want to take my family on vacation or I never want to go out for a nice meal or something like that. That would be a scarcity mindset. You still got to enjoy the finer things in life. But sometimes accomplishing your goals, whatever they may be, involves, you know, cutting back expenses in certain areas and being just a little bit more smarter with your money. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, I think that was a great chat. Um, Matt, I got a pretty basic question. I think we've already talked about it before, but maybe good to rehash. So we were asked... I missed the episode about manners, etc. when on the mat, but question, when you have a small cold, do you still train? I missed class Friday as I had a small cough and I did not want to make others sick. Well, my friend, you are a good person and a good training partner. Yeah, not everyone does that. <laughs> yeah, my, my advice here is just don't train when you have anything communicable, uh, whether it be a cold, flu, skin infection. It's just, there's a lot of reasons why it's bad. I mean, I first of all, for from your own benefits and your own health. Um, if you train when you're sick, you kind of risk re-aggravating the situation and making it even worse. Um, like if it's, if it's a skin condition or even a cough or something like if it's a skin condition, don't yeah. train. Yeah. Don't, don't do that thing where you like tape it over and think it's going to be fine. Like if you have a skin condition, just don't train until it's resolved. Yeah. Um, with it, with a cough, I would also say don't train until you're, you're confident that it, it's basically gone or it's uh, actually not even basically gone. I would say wait till it's gone. I mean, like you know, if you if you have like a cold and you wait like three to four days, it's probably not contagious, even though every case is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm the owner of the gym, so it's like it's a little bit harder for me to miss like a week, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like I have to be there. Doesn't mean that I'm going to grapple every time. Uh, it, it just it just means that it's harder for me to like, you know, I can get people to cover classes, but usually I only do that when I'm really sick. If I feel like I'm still contagious in any way, I'll I'll most likely not roll at all because I don't want contact with people. But sometimes it's just not possible since I'm like the main instructor at the gym for me to just be like, hey, guys, I'm not coming in for the next week. <laughs> it's just not it's just not possible. Now, if you know, if but you in are in that situation, you can still avoid like getting your germs all over these people for sure like like i said i'm not gonna spar on those days and you know a lot of the time if i can get someone to cover i will yeah yeah so i i would say that if it were me i generally prefer that you only come back when you're confident that you're you don't have whatever it was that you had anymore so i would wait until the cough or the cold are gone i mean from a personal standpoint like i said it it might re-aggravate your condition and make it worse but also you have to be mindful of the people that you're training with right it's kind of a a bad thing to do to your friends and your training partners to expose them to something communicable, especially because like within the jujitsu community, there are a lot of people who have careers that require them to engage with those who have compromised immune systems. So like if you're, if you're training with someone who is like a medical professional, you really don't want to get them in a situation where they could be sick and still have to go to work. So my preference is always weighted out. I think that's generally the best thing to do. Um, there's always things that you can do to keep sharp, even without training you know we talked about this before at the beginning of the episode how sometimes uh time off can actually force a a mental reset and when you come back you you might be even better than you were when you left if you need to take time off i mean just take a week there's a lot of youtube videos out there a lot of things that you can study or drill on your own there's infinite material out there infinite material like you'll never watch it all yep yep Believe it or not, this podcast is not the only jujitsu content out there. I have been told there's a lot of YouTube videos, but it is the finest jujitsu. It, it is the best. I mean, I'm not saying that <laughs> any of the other stuff is better than than BJJ mental models. But that said, you know, sometimes you need a, a point of comparison. So if you want to really understand how much better this podcast is than everything else, well, you've got to watch that other garbage content and then you'll be like, wow, Steve and Matt really are on top of things. Yeah. Talking about you, Matt Byrne podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
our, our greatest enemy nah, yeah i actually love yeah. the podcast it's just those guys just shoot the shit basically and i feel like they're not really trying to teach you anything but it's still they're, an interesting listen because i i love both their personalities and obviously yeah. they're like world-class competitors well that's right? the thing it's like it, they're not really trying to put together like learnable course material like we're doing but they're two very very well-known high-level grapplers so it's interesting to kind of get into their heads and see how they think and what their life is like yeah. um, much love to keenan and josh we should do a joint episode sometimes <laughs> yeah if you guys are listening give us a shout yeah they're not gonna call us we could call them yeah we could just keep just keep badgering them, them on social media. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, someone will message them and be like, have you heard of these these idiots on BJJ Mental Models who are always They're talking about shit you about you? They've never accomplished anything. <laughs> it, I would love it if like Keenan um, and Hinger dojo stormed Ascension and just like kicked my ass in front of everybody. Oh, God. Open invitation. <laughs> okay, so let's do the plugs. As always, we greatly appreciate the support that we get from you guys. If you want to support the show, go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash store we've got patches and we've got shirts for you to buy we really appreciate all the help that you get it really helps support the show and keep this stuff going if you want to learn more you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash join that's our mailing list we share a lot of information there that we don't share elsewhere so please do sign up there we love getting in contact with you you can also go to bjjmentalmodels.com which is where we have an online database of the mental models that we've talked about here great supplementary research if you want to learn more and if you want to get in touch with us you can grab us on facebook you can grab us on instagram we're always active there we love hearing from you guys we love getting feedback and we love when you have questions for us so please don't be a stranger all right guys thanks for listening thanks for listening